Okay, guys, we're going to go ahead and dive in. Uh, it feels a little bit quieter, and maybe because of the, all the women who are gone to the women's retreat, but I think this new curtain also kind of helps dampen the sound, which is nice. Okay. Uh, guys, if you are here and you're wondering what these kneelers are for, uh, this is how we do communion here. So everything that we do this morning is driving us here. Uh, we, I know it's not an actual table, but we call it the table. This is the communion table. Uh, and so that's kind of the, the direction that the sermon is headed and the, the, the direction the service is headed is uh, here. And what's going to happen at the end of the service is we're going to do uh, like a four, four songs in a row to kind of create some space for you to interact with Jesus. Because what we believe is that Jesus is present with us this morning. That through his Holy Spirit, he is here. He's here and he is working. That w what is happening in this room, it's not about what's happening up here. It's about what God is doing in the hearts of his people here in this community. Uh, and that's, that's where this is going. So when we get to it, don't worry, I will give you plenty of instructions about how it works. If you're one of those, how does it work people? So we'll get there. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. We're nearing our end of our journey in this book. We've got three weeks left in Revelation. And I know if you're, again, if you're new and you hear Revelation, you're, you may be wondering, what did I get myself into this morning, okay? Uh, and when we think about the book of Revelation, what often comes to mind is this idea of, of the future, that Revelation, in the way that we've approached it so often, uh, is that it's a book that tells us if we can crack the code, if we can figure out the details about what's going to happen in the future. And that's true to a point, but, but what we've been talking about all semester is that really Revelation is an uncovering. It's a pulling back of the curtain. It's, it's been given to us to help us understand what's really going on here and now. There's one author who says apocalyptic literature, the special kind of literature with which we are dealing in this last book of the Bible, it has two major purposes. One is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the future. The other is to set the present moment in light of the unseen realities of the present. The Revelation does both things. It speaks to our, to our future and to our present in a way that helps us better understand how to live in the present. That's what Revelation is all about. And this week is, is especially focused on the future, specifically uh, the future in heaven, and the new heavens and the new earth. And having a clear sense of the future is really important to how we live as people. That our, pers our perspective on, our perception of the future, it shapes the way that we live in the present, whether we know it or not. There's an author, Viktor Frankl, this guy who survived the Holocaust and wrote this book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he says, it is a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. It's a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. That we all, all of us, in some way, have an idea of what the future is going to be like and it is already affecting the way that we live. And there are two kind of really prevalent views of the future that kind of characterize our world. One is the strictly materialist view of the future. Right? That all that exists in our present moment, all that exists in our world is matter and energy. And that as those forces came together in some kind of random chance in the beginning that created this whole thing, so too will all those forces one day end. 
that the universe, I've watched a YouTube video about it, it's kind of scary, right, will one day collapse back in on itself. In the same way it expanded, it'll cool and it'll collapse back in and there will be no one and nothing left and no one to notice the nothing. That that is the prevailing materialist scientific view of the universe. In that worldview, it's really hard to find the plot, right? To figure out, then why are we, why, why are we here anyway? And, and how should I live? And, and it gives license for us to live however we want and also brings us into a kind of a state of hopelessness. And the other kind of really prevalent worldview is a kind of a, a, a wishy-washy perspective on heaven. That heaven is this kind of ethereal, spiritual place Kind of like Precious Moments figurines. Have you guys seen those? There's actually a Precious Moments museum that I have been to, but that is a different story. We won't talk about that, okay? These like figurines that have big eyes and everyone's like kind of a kid or a baby and they're dressed in pastels and they have halos and you know what I'm talking about? Like there's kind of that perspective on heaven that that's what heaven is gonna be like, which is not very compelling to the way that we live now. It, it in some ways kind of takes the edge off of death it helps us when we're in, in moments like funerals, but it doesn't really give us much to hold on to for here and now. And the other kind of prevalent perspective on heaven is that it's essentially everything that we enjoy about life now just turned up to 11. It's like a golf trip and Disneyland, but just more of it. Which, if you've ever been to Disneyland, kind of sounds like a nightmare, right? So overwhelming. But what we've done is kind of taken our consumeristic society and just laid that over heaven. And, and what that generates in us is this perspective that we can live kind of however we want as long as we're nice people. It just is licensed to live however we want. And so, in some sense, this purely materialist view gives us the same kind of perspective as a view that is a watered-down view of heaven. But what we're going to see this week and next week in Revelation is a picture that is so much more clear and is so much more compelling than what is offered by the world. That has far-reaching impacts for how we live our day-to-day -day lives here and now. So I'm going to invite Sam Marshall to come up. Sam is our reader this morning. He'll be reading out of Revelation 21 and 22. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can flip to the, look at that, that is a huge Bible, Sam. Wow. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can flip to the very end, uh, the very end, the last book, the last chapters. The mic's right there, you can grab that. Uh, it will also be on the screen up here behind Sam, uh, and so you can follow along on the screen as well as he reads. Okay, this is God's word. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Then the angel showed me the river of life, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light 
and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sam. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word and ask, Lord, that as we uh, dive into it this morning, as we spend some time unpacking it, uh, we pray that you would be uh, faithful to your promises to lead us, that you'd be leading us in our own hearts and our experience of you and that you'd be leading us here to this table where you promised to meet us this morning. We pray these things in the holy and the precious name of our Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we're, we're here at the end of the book of Revelation, and I just want to remind you about the chapters that we've been in right before this, because we've kind of been jumping thematically. So in chapter 20, we talked about uh, the defeat of the great enemy of God, the defeat of, and judgment of Satan and of evil in the world. And then we also talked about the second half of that chapter, which is the great judgment, the day that we will all stand before God and the books will be opened that after that, death itself is defeated. And then we get to Revelation 21. We see this picture of a new heavens and a new earth. And I hesitate even to call it heaven just by itself because the word heaven by itself falls so short of what we're talking about here in Revelation 21 and 22. That here at the end of Scripture, it's like all of the, all of the thematic through lines are being pulled together and we get this picture of an entirely redeemed and renewed creation. And the verses that we read were a selection out of chapters 21 and 22 when the overall picture is of this new city, the heavenly Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. This is how Revelation 21 opens. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And where we're camping out this morning is in verse 3 and in the, the verses throughout chapter 21 and 22 that hit on this theme. That he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Because that theme is the theme of the entirety of Scripture. That that theme brings to resolution the whole storyline of the Bible. And that if we miss that, God dwelling with us, with his people, we have missed the point of revelation. We have missed the point of the Bible and we have missed the point of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That before we can talk about the new heavens and the new earth, we have to talk about the presence of God in and with his creation. There's this book called Action Park, which is about the most dangerous theme park in America that, of course, was in New Jersey, okay, in like the 80s and 90s, although it does still exist. And at the end of this book, kind of this whole story, uh, they're summing up and paying tribute to the people who have been a part of this amusement park over its history. And, and this, is, this is how the author kind of sums up or pays tribute to those people. He says, many people who helped define the park are no longer with us. We're certain they're building rides or chasing trouble up in heaven with Gene, the guy who created the park. That like that's what heaven is? This place where we're like chasing thrills and riding roller coasters and building new, like no! Right? That's not the point, that if we think that is heaven, we're missing it. Oh, that heaven is about the presence of God. 
That the heart of heaven, the heart of the paradise that Jesus has prepared for us is us being with him. And if that sounds boring to you or kind of like a letdown, that's fine. You can admit that. That's, that's, that's fair. What I hope that you see as we unpack these verses is that that's actually what you were created for, is living in the unmediated presence of God. And the first detail in our passage that speaks to that this morning is that John saw no temple in this new city. It's almost as if John is looking for the temple. That however it is that he's coming down, he's peering all around and he's trying to find where is the temple because the temple was the central point of Jewish worship. That all of the focus of Jewish worship and even of early Christian worship was at the temple. That even after Jesus had died and was resurrected, that his early followers met and taught and prayed and participated in the temple. John's looking for it. Where is the temple? Because the temple is the place that God's presence kissed earth. In the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctuary of the, ta- of the temple was the place that God dwelt. And it was adorned, all of the temple, with all of these pomegranates and palm trees. And the images were a throwback to the Garden of Eden, to this place where man and woman walked with God in unmediated relationship, directly, where they experienced his glory. But John is looking for the temple. But there is no temple. And there is no temple because the Lord, the God God Almighty, is the temple. That God himself is there. There's no architectural uh, uh, limit that has placed him within a box that he is there and he's in the whole thing. That his presence is equally and all over this new city. He indwells it. It's filled with his presence, is filled with his glory, and it's described as light. That's how God's presence is pictured all throughout Scripture. And we get kind of a sense of that metaphor when we talk about, for example, a bride on her wedding day, and we say she was so beautiful, she was radiant, is the word we often use there, right? To describe people's beauty. That there's this sense that there's a beauty that comes from within, that wells out, and that, and that goes out of a beautiful person like light. That's pulling on this biblical image. That God's glory is so immense, it's so full that it lights up the city and there's no need even for the sun and the moon. And if you're wondering, when are we going to sleep in heaven? Because that's like my favorite thing to do. That is, I appreciate your attention to detail. Okay, that's just not the point that this passage is trying to make about sleep. So just stick with me, okay? It's about glory. And God's glory, it's such a hard thing to pin down and to describe the weight of it, the experience of it. So I was thinking about, man, when was the last time I experienced glory? And what I was thinking about was uh, when Nashville SC was in the Copa Americana final against Inter-Miami. Okay, so if, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, just a little bit of background. So there's a soccer team in Nashville, okay, which some people call football. And there is this tournament that spanned all across North and South America. Every club across North and South America was involved in this tournament. And Nashville was in the final for this tournament. Very unexpected. And we were playing Inter-Miami, who had just paid a ton of money to recruit the best football soccer player in the world, right, Lionel Messi, to play on their team. And so there's this game where Nashville, guys, held its own throughout the game. It was magical to be there and to watch it. Wow, is the only way to describe it. And it ended in the most dramatic way possible in this shoot-off. Is that what you call it? Shootout. 
in a shootout. It ended in a shootout, okay? Two rounds, they kicked the winning goal, and, and, and Inter-Miami won, and I will tell you, as a Nashville fan, although I was disappointed, you almost couldn't be mad because the experience of it was so glorious. And as I was reflecting on it for this sermon, you know what I had to remind myself? I wasn't even there, okay? I just watched it on TV and I had that experience. This, this, this wow of being in the presence of this great football player, of, of this amazing game, you're like, this is it. And this, this glory, this overwhelming sense of something that was so good also felt so intimate. Have you ever had experiences like that? Can you like taste it or feel that little bit of glory? And that's, that's like just a, a, just a drop in the ocean of the glory of God. That in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will be surrounded by, enveloped in God's character. That we will be consistently, constantly exposed to his goodness. And that it will light up our world and our lives all of the time. That we'll never struggle with it, we'll never miss it, we'll never ask God, where are you? Because his glory will be all around us, always. And here's the thing, that's not even the best part, okay? Look at verse 4 of chapter 22. They will see his face. They will see his face. It's not just that we're in this generic presence of God, but we will actually look into the face of God, which is almost, it's so challenging to reconcile with the rest of Scripture that tells us that God is invisible, that he cannot be seen, that God is spirit. And in some sense, this is talking about Jesus, that we will look at the face of Jesus and we will see God, but theologians have struggled with it. It seems to be telling us something more, that we will, in an immediate sense, experience the fullness of God's glory. We'll look in his face. Over the centuries, people have called this the beatific vision, this beautiful picture of who God is. And in that moment, when we see God it will change us. That's what 1 John 3, 2 says. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But, when we, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That when we see Jesus as he is, when we see God as he is, it will totally and irrevocably change us but it will make us who we were created to be because that moment of seeing the face of God was the moment that you and I were created for. There's an author, Kurt Thomas, who says in his book, The Soul of Shame, that we are all born into the world looking for someone who is looking for us and that we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. That we are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us. And that we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives. That is a mode that the tiniest infant, when, when she first comes out into the world, is experiences. Before she even knows what a face is, she is looking for a face that is looking for her to make eye contact with. And she'll never grow out of it. We never grow out of it. If you've ever served in Kidtown, you know how often kids are saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me, see me, aren't you proud of me? Isn't it cool, Daddy? And guys, you know this. You, you never grow out of that. That with your parents, 
Don't you always want to hear them say that they are proud of you? It doesn't matter how dysfunctional. That is something that we all yearn for. Is that the people would, someone would see us, that they would know us, and that they would tell us, I'm proud of you, I love you. And it's not just our parents. That even if you are the most loved child in the entire world, when you leave home and go out into the world, you are still looking for that, for someone who is looking for you. Whether it's your coach or your teachers, whether it's friends, right? Like, you, we all wanted and still want to have the kind of friends that when our friend is made the captain, like gets to be the person who is doing the picking, right? You know what I'm talking about? Whether it's dodge dodgeball or pickleball or whatever it is, that that person, you want someone who you know is going to pick you, don't you? Like that person isn't going to think about how good you are at dodgeball because otherwise I never would have been chosen, but someone who is like, oh, I know you and I care about you, so I'm choosing you. That when someone says, when their parents say, hey, you get to invite someone over for dinner, someone can come on this trip with you, and they say, oh, I know who I want to come, that we all want to be the person who is chosen there, right? And that never goes away. We still want that whether it's parents or friends or bosses or a significant other, that we are all looking for someone who is looking for us. And as we get older in the world, what often happens is that, is that we are put into places where we have people who are looking to us to give them that look while we are still looking for the look. That gets complicated, right? We never outgrow it. But there will be a day when we look at the face of God and that longing is finally and fully met. That we will see the face of the one who has been looking for us the whole time. And he will never look away. He will never hide his face. He will never avert his gaze. And seeing the love and the delight in his eyes toward us, it will be a look that we never want to look away from either. And it'll change us. Like, think about all of the ways that you feel inadequate in your life. All of the ways that you are not enough. Any of the roles that you have in your life. Child, parent, friend, worker, brother, any of, the, any of them. And the inadequacy that you feel in those places, that we all feel in those places. The sense that I'm not enough. And the weight that we carry because of that, the shame that we carry because of that, because of our deep awareness of all the ways that we are not enough, not only because of our natural limitations, but because of our own sin that self-destructs all of the things that we love and care about. And that, that in those places, all of the places that you are not enough, that what you will experience is your God looking at you and not looking away. And it'll change you. That you will be free of all of the ways that you despise those limitations and you resist them. We'll be free of it. For all of the ways that our shame sits so heavy on us, we'll be free of it. Now think about your desire for control for safety and security and the ways that it disrupts your life because you are going out and trying to control other people? 
and to finally look in the face of God and to see how much he delights in us and to know that because of that, he has given us everything he could ever give us. But there is no need to be afraid and anxiety-ridden. But that anxiety will disappear. Now think about all of the doubts and the questions that you have about God that constantly threaten your peace. That that feel like they're always with you like a shadow that you can't shake or get rid of. And that when you engage with them and you start to unspool them, they start to feel like they're more than you could ever answer. And that the fear that if you don't get the right answer, then what does that mean about God? And what does that mean about being? And is this all a universe is going to collapse back in on itself? Have you been there? To know that there will be a day where you will look in the face of God and he will look at you and all of those doubts and all of those questions they will never haunt you again. All of the power will be taken out of them because you'll, you'll see the one who has been seeing you this whole time. Can you take a deep breath with me for a moment? Doesn't that sound good? Yes? Like better than Disneyland or a golf course for forever, right? Better than precious moments, heaven? Yes, it's way better, okay? But it gets even better. It gets even better than that because what we're talking about right now is all of the goodness that you will experience from God because of all of what he has done for you, all of what his presence will do for you. But have you, okay, have you ever written a birthday card and as you're writing it, you're like, dear so-and-so, I'm so glad you were born because you were so amazing to me all of the time. You know what I'm talking about? Like, thank you for all of the things you do for me. And then you realize, well, all I'm celebrating is like what you do for me rather than celebrating you. So then you go and try to write like the next line of the birthday card. You are also funny and amazing and so kind, but you still can't like get past that, that, that you're still trying to describe the reasons you love this person, but it still makes it sound like there's something they could do or a way they could be that you would not love them. Maybe you're just getting an insight into the way that I write birthday cards, but I have this experience on the rack, okay? And then I get to the point where what I realize is I just love you because I love you. And that's it. And that's at the heart of it. And that our love, when we look at the one who has been looking at us this whole time, that we will look at him and we will love him fully. And all of the ways that we have loved him imperfectly, that we fall short, that we will have this moment where we look in the, in the face of God and we will be captivated by who he is. Not only because of what he has done for us, but because he himself is beautiful and worth loving. That's what we'll experience when we see his face. And it's a, it's a moment that we will be drawn deeper and deeper and deeper into over the course of eternity. That's what this passage is calling us to. So that's God's presence then. So what does that mean for now? Because here's what you gotta know, that it is actually possible that we would start to draw from that future and taste some of it now. That as John in the book of Revelation is pulling back the curtain on what it will be like, what he has told us is that that future is pressing up against this world right now. It is so close. It is almost here. It's nearer now than when you first believed. And not because we have decoded it and we know that that's true, but because Jesus promises us that that's true. 
that he is so close and that as his kingdom presses in on this world, it stirs up the evil in this world and we can say, that's happening. Jesus, you are so close. And he tells us, even now, my kingdom is breaking in. That, that the line between heaven and earth, it's faded, it's wearing thin. It's punching through, it's here. And the place that that happens uh, most clearly and most regularly, the place that that is always true is in the life of a believer. Because what scripture teaches us is that now the temple, guys, the temple is you. The holy of holies is you. God says the temple has been destroyed and it's never coming back. That what is true is that God has made his home in you. You are the place that his glory dwells, in you. Which means you are always in the presence of God. Now, one day in the new heavens and new earth, you will experience it in an acuteness that, you do not, that we do not get to experience it here, and that's what we are looking forward to and longing for, but he is here with us even now. Even now. And what the Holy Spirit, and what he is calling us to, what he's saying is, hey, would you stop? Stop. Stop. Would you stop and recognize that you are in the presence of God even now? Number six of this benediction that happens all the way in the Old Testament, right? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is not an if statement. When we are in Christ, it is, it's true. We're not hoping God will do it. He's done it. His face is already turned toward you because of what Jesus has done for you. All that we're doing is stopping and looking up and remembering the face that is looking at us that is full of love and delight and joy even now. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? That stopping, it's hard for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons is because we're so darn distracted all the time. There's this song by Arcade Fire called Everything Now, off of the album, Everything Now. I just want to read you a few of the lyrics, okay? Every inch of sky's got a star. Every inch of skin's got a a scar. I guess that you've got everything now. Every inch of space in your head is filled up with the things that you've read. I guess you've got everything now. Every film you've ever seen fills the spaces up in your dreams. That reminds me. Every inch of road's got a sign. Every boy uses the same line. I pledge allegiance to everything now. Every song that I've ever heard is playing at the same time. It's absurd. We turn the speakers up till they break because every time you smile, it's a fake. Stop pretending you've got everything now. There's a chorus. Then it picks back up. Every inch of road's got a town. Daddy, how come you're never around? And the lyric catches us off guard. But what they're pulling at is that we live in a world that is so loud, that is always fighting for our attention and to entertain us. And it's not just the world that is fighting for that, but we, we participate in it all the time. Don't we? And yet what they're uncovering is that under all of that, that what's under all of that is our desire for unmediated relationship. Yes, with our dads and our moms. But under all of that, with God. The invitation is that we would stop 
and stop long enough to look up at the face that's looking back at us. And guys, so many, if, you have be, if you have been raised in the church, let's just acknowledge, you and I have all kinds of scripts about what it means to stop, don't we? That like stopping is your quiet time in the morning. And it should be excellent. How long does, how long does it have to be to count? For you. You got a minute? Okay, does anyone else need longer than a minute for it to feel like it counts? That that's what it means for us to stop is we have this whole script we have to run and if we don't have the time to do the whole thing then we don't do it and we build, we build up all these plans and we beat ourselves up for all the times we haven't and don't rather than just feeling that, uh, that invitation to stop and rather than starting on all of those narratives of all the things we should be doing, just taking that moment and just stopping right there. And that stop, guys, it can be literally for five seconds. Long enough for you to turn up your gaze and to see the God who is looking back at you full of love. God, you are real and you are here. You're not just an idea or an abstraction or a part of my theology. God, you are, you're real and you're looking at me with delight even now. And what that does is that starts to, to retrain all of these habits that we have that make us avoid God and pull us into the present of engaging with God, stopping in our everyday lives. And that stopping is so critical to get where we're going. How many times, I want you to think about this for a minute, okay? Just think about it in your own head. How many times did you stop your car on the way to get here this morning? Maybe you're like, Maybe you're from California, like me, and you roll all the stop signs. Let's just pretend you actually stopped all the way, okay? Multiple times, right? To get safely to where you're going, you've got to stop. It's a part of the journey. That that's what this passage is calling us into, that we would stop and look at the God who is looking for us. And guys, here's the thing. is Under all of, under all of that, uh, I think we are terrified of what we're going to see when we look up at the face of God. There's this Rorschach test. You know, that's like, those are those ink block tests, right? They like show you the pictures. Like, what do you see here? And what you see there kind of tells you everything you need to know about you. We're going to do one of those, okay, with the scripture. So this is in Luke 22. It's after Peter has just denied Jesus three times. And immediately while he was speaking, that is while Peter was in the midst of betraying Jesus, the rooster crowed. And the Lord looked and looked, the excuse me, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Here's what I want to ask you. What did Peter see on Jesus' face? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. What did he see on Jesus' face? If you, were here, if, if you were here when we did the Daystar Parenting Workshop, we got those feelings charts. You, know, you can point to the picture and it gives you the word that goes with it. Proud, grumpy, shameful. Like what do you think was on Jesus' face in that moment? Because what you think is on Jesus' face in that moment is what you think you're gonna get when you look at Jesus in the midst of your sin. And I will tell you, friends, that is one of the deepest battles of the Christian life is having the faith to believe, letting the Holy Spirit strengthen your faith to believe that when you look at your heavenly Father, when you look into the face of Jesus, that what you will find is not disgust, not his, uh, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed face, but that what you will find is love and mercy and grace. 
That's why Peter went out and wept bitterly. Because of the love that he saw in Jesus' eyes toward him after he had done the thing he swore he would never do and he did it three times. That's the gospel. Thompson says again in this other part of his book about shame, those parts of us that feel the most broken, that we keep most hidden, are the parts that most desperately need to be known by God so as to be loved and healed. For only in those instances when our shame parts are known do they stand a chance to be redeemed. We can love God, love ourselves, or love others only to the degree that we are known by God and known by others, specifically in the places of our shame. That's the gospel. Is that all those, all those times that you hide your face from God, you, well, God, I've got to do all of these things before I can look at you because of what I've just done. But it's in those moments that he most desires for you to turn your face up and see his, his face looking back at you full of love and delight. And when you do that, it may cause you to weep bitterly because of your sin. That's all right. That's called repentance. Oh, to be sad about it and then to let his love in that moment of our sadness meet us and draw us back into rejoicing. And that, okay, now we're getting to the communion table, okay? Because that's what we're doing here. Because this is the place that we come to experience the fullness of God's presence. This is the place that heaven most touches earth in in what we do here on a Sunday morning. Because what we believe is that when we engage at this table by faith, that Jesus is here in a way that is different than every other time. That he is spiritually present with us as we take his body and his blood. So come on. Come and behold his face. Oh, and if you run up here and you say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for my sin, yes, come on. Jesus, I'm so desperate to see that you love me because I have forgotten it in so many places in my life. Yes. Jesus, I'm so anxious. Jesus, I'm trying so hard to control. Would you give me a glimpse of your face that reminds me that I am secure, not because of my efforts, but because of your love for me? Yes, bring it. Come to the table. This is the place that we are reminded. Yes, all throughout Scripture, to look on God's face is a death sentence. No man can see God's face and live. And yet, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, because of his death and life, death and resurrection, because he has atoned for our sin, we are now invited to, to with unveiled faces, behold the glory of God even now. That that's what we're doing here this morning. So I would invite you to come. And just very specifically about like logistically how you come, you can like feel free to line up here in the middle. There will be servers here behind the behind the uh, behind the kneelers, okay? Uh, and squeeze in. You can go like three to four to a kneeler, uh, and you have that time to stop and be with God. Whenever you're ready to come up, uh, if you want to be prayed for. Just cross your arms over yourself. And the people who are serving would love to pray for you. When you're ready to, to be served the elements, you can put out your hands and they'll give you the elements. If you are gluten-free, we have gluten-free cups in the trays, so you can just grab one of those. It's very obvious which ones they are, okay? Uh, yeah. And if you are not uh, a follower of Jesus this morning, we are so glad that you're here. And are hopeful and desperate that you will turn and look in his face. And if that's not true yet this morning, uh, this table isn't for you right now. 
Because this is for people who are saying, I have looked in the face of Jesus and I'm, I'm overwhelmed by who he is. So uh, just wait. You're welcome to come. You can ask for prayer. You can have a moment to stop and kneel, but we just ask that you wouldn't take the elements right now. And if you are here and you are in Christ, but there are parts of your life where you are refusing to look at Jesus, uh, don't come. There's a warning for us too. Because to, to look in the face of God is to recognize that he loves all of us uh, and he, uh, all of us is given over to that love. And if there's a part of your life where you're saying, I will, not God, I will not let God love me there or I will not be obedient to God there, then this table is not for you yet because it's, it's for those of us who are coming and bringing all of ourselves. So deal with that first. But man, if you are desperate for Jesus to meet you, then come on. Come on, don't hold back. There's also our, our prayer wall in the back. Take a prayer, leave a prayer. As we're going through this, if there's stuff that God is stirring up in you that you want to invite some other person into praying for you about, yes, cross your arms up here and leave a prayer back there. Take a prayer from someone else. We would love as a community to be praying for each other in this journey uh, of waiting for Jesus. Okay. So our Lord, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this body or this bread is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm gonna invite our servers to come up. Uh, our women who typically serve are all on the retreat, so... Sorry, you just have the dudes today. But uh, they'll be here to, to pray with you, pray for you, uh, and let me, let me pray for us as we come to the Lord's table together. Jesus, we... Uh, Lord, we come to you and acknowledge our desperation for you. Lord, there are so many places uh, we look to see if people are looking at us to see if they love us, to see if they care, to see if they're proud of us. And Lord, so many of those relationships are in and of themselves gifts, but we also know that they are not, uh, they're not you. So God, pray that as we take this time to stop, uh, that you would meet with us, that you would show us a glimpse of your glory, Lord, and that you would begin or continue to change us even now. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, were discussing this passage in my small group this last week, one of the things that, that I think hit a lot of us uh, was that there are people in our lives who have not looked at the face of Jesus and people who we desperately desire to see that face. It was such a reminder for me that this community that we are a part of is a missional community. It's not just for the people who are here, but that what we believe is that as we look into the face of our Jesus, into the face of God, even now, that we are changed. And that as, as a people who are changed, that we go out into the world uh, showing that forth to other people. Paul talks about it, and he says that in the same way that Moses went up on Mount Sinai and experienced the glory of God and came down with his face shining, so you, when you look in the face of Jesus, have a face that shines. But Moses covered that face because the people couldn't look at it. And Paul tells us, no, we go out into the world with unveiled face, with faces that have seen Jesus, who have seen the one who is looking for us, seen the one who is seeing us. 
And then we go and carry that out into the world. And we do that in the way that we love and the way that we interact. And also as we invite people to come and be a part of this and come and look at the face of Jesus with us here on Sundays and as a part of this community. Okay, so receive this benediction out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit.